This is Vanderbilt Business. Transparency is a major tenant of the Trump administration's approach to health care reform. This summer, the president issued an executive order on health care price and quality transparency that was informed in part by analysis and insights from Larry Van Horn, an associate professor of management here at Vanderbilt Business. Professor Van Horn sat down to talk with me about the need for price transparency in healthcare, his role in the executive order, and how the order's effects will be felt in the market and by consumers. Larry Van Horn, thank you so much for being here with me today. Section one of the executive order on improving price and quality transparency in American healthcare to put patients first states uh, initially that the Trump administration seeks to enforce the ability of patients to choose the healthcare that is best for them. How does this executive order aim to enhance that ability? And what actions does the order require of America's healthcare system? Well, I think this is, has the potential to be quite transformative in terms of shaping the way we all get healthcare and the way the providers operate. Um, it's, it's striking that we have approximately 20% of the U.S. economy where individuals, you and I, as, as patients or consumers, are making purchase decisions every day and have no idea what the price is. It's just un-American. And, uh, and, and it's, we've devolved to this state over the last 30 or 40 years. We didn't start here. When I was a kid, we paid for cash for everything in healthcare, and And, and we've lost that. And what this bill, executive order, and subsequent rule tries to do is put information, important information, in the back of the hands of the consumer such that they can make trade-offs and understand um, how price and quality vary in their uh, options around healthcare consumption and hopefully make better decisions as a result. So the executive order that was signed on June 24th um, puts forward a timetable as well as a direction for rulemaking, which is currently in play right now, um, to, to produce price information and quality information and, and in ways that are relevant to consumer shopping and consumer purchase of medical care. And when I say shopping, it's, it's actually much broader than people typically con conceive. People think about x-rays, imaging, lab, those things as being shoppable services. But in excess of 70% of all inpatient medical care is shoppable. There is a time discretionary component to it. And probably in excess of 90% of all outpatient has a sufficient time window for consideration of alternatives. And what the goal here is to provide those individuals with the information that has heretofore been confidential, gagged, and not invisible such that they know what their financial exposure is going to be prior to making a consumption decision. It's just the right thing to do. It's how every other industry in the United States operates. Certain groups that oppose the executive order say that increased transparency in healthcare may actually drive up prices or in some cases interfere with competition. What would you say to that? No, isn't that awesome? I mean, it, it really is mind-blowing because what you have here is you have both the health insurance industry as well as the providers both saying this is a bad thing and will increase prices. If it was the case that prices were to go up, don't you think they keep their mouth shut? It just doesn't make intuitive sense, A. 
B is that this really runs afoul of basic market principles. We here in the business school teach, and Luke Fro, my dear friend, teaches demand curves slope down. For what they're saying to be true, demand curves would have to slope up. Um, if Can you it, explain that yes, to the audience? They're, they're saying that, that everybody's going to raise their prices and maintain their demand. But, but demand curves slope down. As prices go up, your demand goes down. So this runs afoul of basic economic gravity. And if the logic that they're employing here, um, if applied anywhere else, would just be laughable. Frequently, they've alluded to the Danish cement industry study of 1993, where uh, when the government put out price information, there was, a, uh, there was an increase in prices in some selected areas. Uh, that is their empirical leverage point. Um, in a small country, Denmark, with concrete that if transported more than 30 minutes hardens on an initiative which sampled 18% of the population and created an index of manufacturers. It's just, it's crazy what they're doing to try to achieve this outcome. Now, I've had conversations with the health insurance industry representatives where they've argued that Larry, making these prices that we're able to negotiate between ourselves and our providers public negates our ability to negotiate good rates. And my rejoinder to that is my empirical analysis suggests you're not very good at doing that. Because cash prices, when they're out there in the market upfront offered by those providers are 39% cheaper than what you're paying. So if this is your leverage point to create value, you're not very good at it. But B is that this isn't the way you should try to be create value for me as a subscriber of a health insurance plan. You should be solving my problem of should I get any medical care? Where should I get it? And then how much should I pay for it? Not trying to negotiate lower prices. I, as an individual with modest income, with a budget constraint, can negotiate lower prices probably than you can. Because Every provider thinks that every payer has got a pot of gold and there is no price that is too high that they would try to negotiate. And, and furthermore, the point I made with the insurers is, folks, don't fight this tooth and nail. You realize that there is an alternative and it's called Medicare for All that's currently part of the common discussion and that would make your business illegal. So, so let's just think about how can we... Uh, work in a free market context to um, help improve the experience of Americans around the purchase of medical care and give them more information. That's kind of what, where I would want to see them go. And, and, and one of the other rejoinders they made, and clearly may have thought about this because I get I, I, people pepper me on this a lot, is that they say, these are confidential contracts between providers and insurers. They're business-to-business -business contracts. There are lots of companies that have confidential contracts with their suppliers. And this is no different. You're changing the game on a very fundamental way on business-to-business -business contracting. Um, and the answer to that is clearly no. You're wrong again. Thank you. Um, what's different about this contract is that an insurer negotiates a contract with a provider and then they legally enjoin me as a subscriber of theirs financially and legally 
to adhere to their contract and the prices they negotiated. And I have no visibility. If that insurer never charged me a dime, that's fine. But 40% of Americans have high deductibles. And even after the deductible, you have coinsurance. I work for a self-insured employer and I have a 15% coinsurance. So I care about the price. So because of that, this is entirely different. I'm hoping that, that as we move through the fall, the summer and the fall, and as the rules come out and the industry starts to think about um, what this means, they'll have more comfort than just saying, we can't change. Because this industry, U.S. healthcare industry, must change. Yeah, so that's the, the second half of the question. Certain people mentioned that transparency can interfere with competition in the medical market. And a lot of people are citing a, a blog post from the Federal Trade Commission in 2015. And it sounds like that could actually be the case, but that might be better for a consumer. So, so the FTC memo written by staffers in 2015 to the state of Minnesota was actually 15 pages in length. And what they're extracting from that is a very narrow interpretation of a very select characterization of a highly concentrated market that is not generalizable to what we're talking about here nationally. I've had conversations with the FTC about their memo. Um, when read in its entirety, um, it paints a rather more balanced picture than saying the FTC is against uh, price transparency. Okay, fair enough. There's also other critics have mentioned that this order might get watered down. What would you say to that? Well, um, so the executive order uh, lays out a roadmap, uh, a timetable and a set of actions that has to be coordinated between multiple uh, government agencies, Health and Human Services, CMS, White House, Labor, um, that they come together to produce the rules that satisfy the executive order. Uh, the first of which, uh, the uh, OPPS, the Outpatient um, Payment uh, Policy and System, came out uh, on, on Monday of this week which adhered very much to the spirit of what the initial executive order was. It mandated net contracted prices between payers and providers must be made public. It enforced penalties for noncompliance. Um, and there will be subsequent rule components that will continue to come forward. Now, these are all pending. These are all subject to uh, public comment right now, all the way up through September, with the intent that these rules will become effective in January uh, of 2020. Um, but to date, um, and I think it's, it's a credit to this administration. This administration is less beholden to, in, to the special interests um, than most other administrations historically have been. And so I think they've probably listened quite uh, intently. But there's, in my experience, there's little question that people in the White House and in HHS certainly listen to what the president's intent is and try to deliver on that intent. So what's the short-term and long-term impact of this? What can we expect as consumers? Will we see it, you know, 60 days, 90 days? It's going to take a year. What's your best guess? Yeah, so economists are really good about talking about the equilibrium, the end game, the path to get there. Well, that's a little bit more noisy and can be a little bit more uncertain and maybe even ugly. Um, so, uh, 
my long run belief is that this will lead to a number of things. One, prices will come down because the cash prices that providers are already, already willing to offer in the market is below what third-party insurers are paying now. You're not going to offer a service if it's below marginal cost. Um, so there is headroom there. Um, so I believe that prices will come down. I believe it will also drive towards a redefinition of the unit of service. So right now, the executive order, the rules come out and suggest that um, price information must be produced at the CPT code level in a machine-readable format that can be used by third parties to produce tools that are more consumer-facing and consumer-friendly. All of that's necessary because right now the way we buy medical care makes absolutely no sense to you and I as lay people. If I want to go get a doctor visit, I, don't, I have an intuitive sense for what that means. I want to go sit in the exam room, I want to have a conversation with a doctor, I want to talk about my problems and have him help me out and walk out the door. Now, the problem is, is that the way we bill for medical care has become the way we define medical care. And that means we don't know whether that doctor visit is a CPT code 99211, 212, 213, 214, 215, until after we've done it. And all those are based off of, off of time and body systems and extensions and whatnot. The definition of the unit of service doesn't make any sense to you and I. We need to change the way we buy medical care to be one that's more friendly to us as individual shoppers. And I think that's part of the change that will happen over time uh, as we become more consumer-facing. Consumer part of this is that for the last 40 years, the customer of healthcare providers in the United States has been insurance companies. And they communicate in a very arcane way with code sets and CPT codes and 837 transactions and 835 remittances, none of which make any sense to you or I who have to open up our wallet and buy some medical care. And so I think this will accelerate a push to provide solutions that, are, are, that we understand and we want to purchase. Um, I also think it will generate a push towards different sites of care. As, as prices are revealed, as, as the, the veil is pulled back and you can see how much services are at various locations, it will, it, that will result in, in migration and changes where patients get medical care. Um, so, you know, the timing on how long this will take, you know, I think, it, I, I, I like to believe that within a year you'll start seeing effect, some effect. I think it will take a while for this to, to transmit its way through the entire uh, U.S. healthcare industry. I think there are places where prices could go up for services, and I think there are prices, places where prices will be going down. And so I think there's going to be a lot of adjustment. And I think it's also worthwhile to know that there's a number of states, uh, including the state of Tennessee, that at the state level have passed right-to-shop laws. Um, requiring providers produce information to facilitate shopping by residents of the state. And, uh, and I believe here in the state of Tennessee, our right to shop law covers a set of services and that goes into effect in, in January of next year. Uh, I have to verify that, but I believe that's the case. So there is a groundswell, a, a movement beyond the federal level to the state level focused on 
getting price information out there, um, and facilitating people making informed decisions when they buy. Do you think people, when they first start seeing prices posted, are going to be blown away? Yes. Just yeah. consistently, no matter where they are in the U.S.? I think they're going to, get, they're going to be blown away. My research has shown, because I've analyzed uh, about a billion commercial claims uh, in the U.S. over the last year, the amount of price variation within a market for the same exact thing averages three to four hundred percent. Okay, my gosh, that's huge. If that means there's, it's great evidence of market failure. Um, there's no quality differences or amenity differences for the exact same thing that could support a fourfold price variation. And I honestly believe that when you give that, put that information out there, there'll be a compression in prices. You know, I don't really need to shop for gasoline prices, right? I don't believe you'd probably do it either. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we know that the price that we're passing is probably pretty darn close to where it is everywhere else. And that's the, that's, that's the discipline that comes with having competitive markets and informed consumer, consumer shopping is that prices converge. I would expect similar things to happen in this, in this situation. By and large, it seems like any opponent to the ZO is, is probably going to be a hospital group or probably going to be an insurer. And so People who want to preserve the status quo. And so those are the people who want to preserve the status Correct. quo. Correct. So, Can we call them the cartel? <laughs> I'll leave that to you. Okay. <laughs> just, the, just the interviewer. Okay. But So in that regard, who's going to budge first? Do we know? Does it matter? It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Both insurers and providers are going to have to, as a part of the executive order and the rulemaking, put forward their prices. And I just, I have a hard time having somebody stand across from me and say, people shouldn't know how much something costs. I mean, how can you do that? And so if you're embarrassed to put forward your prices, that suggests there's a problem. Tell us how you contributed to this executive order. What was your role? <laughs> in part, it was it was the result of a, a set of relationships. One is the relationship President Trump has with uh, a dear friend of mine, Art Laffer, here in Nashville. And, and Art and, and I've been close for quite a few years. Um, Art Laffer uh, has provided guidance to the administration on tax policy and had been meeting with the president earlier this year and had relayed to him some of our conversations that he and I had had around my interest in the importance of markets and prices and information in the hands of consumers. Um, That conversation with the president resulted in the president asking me to come to the Oval Office and have a conversation with him in April, which I did. Um, and we had, uh, we had a, a conversation in the Oval Office. The outgrowth of that was he asked me to be involved in, in the conversations that were taking place around creating an executive order that would support the vision that we had discussed. And uh, there are great people uh, in the organization, um, Joe Grogan, Theo Merkel, uh, people in HHS, Jim Parker, Secretary Azar. There's a, there's a whole team of folks who really were the folks who drafted this within the administration. What I tried to do was provide information, color, and perspective that would be helpful for them 
as they dealt with naysayers and also helped them think about what would be the right levers from a policy perspective uh, that could be pulled to achieve, to achieve the intended outcome. So I uh, spent time uh, analyzing data and providing them visibility into what I was observing in, in markets around prices um, and uh, being party to conversations over the ensuing couple months, um, both within the White House and within HHS. The outcome of that was, you know, I was quite honored to have the president uh, president's office reach out to me and ask me to speak at the signing of the executive order. I mean, that was a, a nice moment in my career. It's got to be absolutely thrilling. Yeah. From your perspective, do you see any more either legislation or executive orders coming forward in this particular area to improve transparency or other customer-facing needs in the healthcare industry? Yeah, I, I, this administration has been... Uh, you can look at... There's a whole series of executive orders on healthcare. This is one of a number. You know, they, had, they did an executive order around surprise billing. Um, they did an executive order around uh, end-stage renal disease and, and kidney care. Um, so this administration, I think, is actually taking a lead in terms of working within the existing legislative framework. What can they do to improve the marketplace barring drafting some huge new piece of legislation, which I think we can all agree would never happen, right? So, but, but within the, within the uh, legislative runway of, of the ACA, um, through 21st Century Cures, through HIPAA, through ERISA, there's a, a bunch of different platforms that allow the administration the ability to weigh in and, 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 and create rules that I think are in the consumer's best interest, and, uh, and I, I think they're continuing to do that. So I, I've been I've been quite favorably impressed there. Larry, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Glad to. Thanks to Professor Van Horn for his time this week, and thank you for listening. You can find more stories and information about Owen by visiting our website, business.vanderbilt.edu, or following at Vanderbilt Owen on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Vanderbilt University or the Vanderbilt Owen Graduate School of Management. Music is provided by Mike Foster, and I'm Nate Roos.